0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Leviticus 23, the calendar of God? It's an interesting study. What isn't in the Bible? In Leviticus, here's what we've seen we've seen the sacrifices. God assumes the responsibility. To do what is necessary so that he can have a relationship with his people. Therefore, sin must be dealt with. There must be a way that we can fellowship with him and with one another. There must be uh, a way that we can dedicate ourselves in service to him. All of that's covered in the sacrifices. And then after that, the priesthood. God appoints one of the tribes... be priests of God. So they were intermediaries between God and man. They had a very important role to play in the Old Testament economy of the Jewish people. Then after that comes God's rules for personal, social, and, and civic responsibility, those rules would be applicable to all, and God was showing that He had an interest in the personal lives of people and how they dealt with one another. So those things were taken care of. The Holiness code, as it was called, as it has been called, to show the world that God's people were different. they were separate from the world. And they were different because this is the way God declared for it to be. Now comes the worship of God's people with all of these other things in place. And it starts here with what I call the calendar of God. So let's let's look at this and, and consider the language that's used here and how it just might apply to us. Number one, the institution... Of Sabbath, there is a, a, there is a principle involved here that is based on on sets of seven, and the first one of course, that we look at is the Sabbath or the set of seven days. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, Yahweh's appointed holy days that you shall designate as uh, holy occasions. Uh, These are my appointed holy days. For six days work may be performed, but on the seventh day it is a complete rest day, a holy occasion. Now the word holy means separated to God. You shall not perform any work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh. In all your dwelling places, it would seem, in reading the 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 history as recorded by rabbis and and uh, Jewish leaders through the centuries, that initially the rule of the Sabbath was not that complicated or difficult. It was the kind of thing that people just didn't do what they usually do on a day. They didn't work. They didn't do their work. So they would have a time of, of peace, a time of rest, a joyful occasion to be with their family and to reflect upon the goodness of God. And to offer a kind of worship to God through reflecting upon him in his word, day of Sabbath. Now it unfortunately became a monster to the Jewish people uh, in the development and finalization of the Talmud and the uh, other writings, the Mishnah. So that there were hundreds of regulations that are not in the Bible. It, that, there's what it is. Of course, we can go back to the Ten Commandments, but it's, it's as simple as this. You don't work on this day. It's a Sabbath to Yahweh. Uh, and it's a holy occasion. It's separated to God. So then it seems that, that, that people begin to overthink this thing. And they they begin to overthink it from a human perspective. You remember we studied in John's Gospel. I don't know a Sunday or two ago, where they were accusing Christ of healing the man at the pool on the Sabbath. Christ knew that there was this centuries-old debate among rabbis as to whether or not Yahweh. Worked on the Sabbath, so Jesus put that to rest. He said, "My Father is working even until now, and I'm working." You, you know, you can't apply anything to Yahweh like that. I mean, He's above and beyond all of that. They were the the rabbis through the centuries were trying to excuse God from anything that He felt like He needed to do on the Sabbath. Now, what that would, I don't know what that would mean. A, a, a star got out of place and he had to put it back. I don't know. Um, just what does, what does God, does God ever say oops? No, of course not. So it's kind of a ridiculous argument. And when you study those things, it's just, it's an asinine diatribe of, of, of uh, idiotic uh, ideas but they came to be very, very burdensome and important to the Jews in the times of the Pharisees and, of course, in the time of Christ. And Christ came to refute all of that. He said, You're, you have rest with me. Your yoke is easy. You can rest in me. Um, now, with, with all of that in mind, we go back to what's said here. The principle of the thing is that one day out of seven was designated to give full attention to the need for rest on what had been accomplished in the previous six days, and in that rest, reflect upon the one who made everything and who gives us everything. So it would be a time of thanksgiving, um, a time of of praise, a time of worship. Now, at this this point in time, just, just after this is written, this part of the Bible... All they would have is the Torah, the law, so they could read the law uh, to one another and really get blessings out of the law. There a lot of wonderful things are said, especially in Deuteronomy, but uh, the book of Numbers is, is a kind of a sad account of the wanderings, but yet filled with promise and deliverance from enemies and so forth. So even if all you have is the first five books, the books of Moses, the law, the Torah, Uh, There's so much to read And then of course to be mindful of Children would need to have this The law taught to them day and night uh, And they're getting up They're going to bed According to the instruction of Moses And by the time they would reach a certain age They would would have memorized a lot of it and, And they would have a good working knowledge Of what it was all about but in, a, in that simpler day, the, the historical manifestation is that generally the people just saw it as a day to rest, not to do what they usually do. In the case of the Israelites here, at this point in time, they would rest from their labors of, of travel, to travel and work and, and whatever. And they would, in that rest, uh, they would enjoy Reflection upon the blessings of Yahweh, their God. The point here is there is a time that people should have in this part of the law which is the the, the law or the rule of the Sabbath, and in the case of Israel, it was every you know it was sundown to sundown Friday night, to Saturday night. Uh, they would reflect upon, and this would be the Sabbath. They would not work. So you know what happens. Um, you know, you've heard the old. I, I used to hear it all the time. I don't know if anybody hears it anymore. My ox is in the ditch. You know, that was one of the excuses. You know, if if a man's over there dying, you can't you can't apply medicine to him. You're practicing medicine on the Sabbath. But if your ox is in the ditch, well, you better get him out because that won't be right. So God says you can get your ox out of the ditch, but you can't help the man if he's bleeding to death or whatever. That's kind of ridiculous. The principle is that in our, in our daily lives, we need to make room a day out of the week for the Lord And a day to rest and that rest is given so that we might be strengthened, not just and refreshed, not just physically, but but spiritually as well. And that's not a that's not a bad thing. So anyway, it begins here as the Lord teaches his people about worship and what he expects You'll note that it's you'll note that it starts with the institution of the Sabbath. I want to go back up to verse two where it says here these are Yahweh's appointed holy days, and you shall designate them as holy occasions. these are my appointed days." We'll, we'll keep that in mind and follow up on that as we go through this chapter here. Now there are seven feasts again that Perfect number seven. And these are feasts that are appointed by Yahweh. And they are given in an annual calendar. And each feast finds its fulfillment in the New Testament. St. Augustine said, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So that, that's, a, that's a good saying to, to, to keep in your heart because that's, that's true. The first of the seven feasts, the feast of the Passover. These are Yahweh's appointed holy days, holy occasions, which you should designate in their appointed time. Now these are by Yahweh. In the first month on the 14th of the month. In the afternoon you shall sacrifice. The Passover. Uh, offering to Yahweh. Well we know what that's about. We go back to the book of Exodus. And, and uh, the Passover. Is what. The, the, the Passover lamb. The blood on the doorpost. That's what. That's what. Uh, or the Paschal lamb. That's what spared those who by faith hid themselves behind the blood. And God says, I'll pass over you if you have the blood on your doorposts. And so those were spared the death of the firstborn, but those who didn't have that blood on the doorposts, of course, suffered greatly in losing uh, the firstborn. So that's Passover. The, 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 The lamb, the blood of the lamb, literally, Saved the faithful on that night in the time of Passover. Now, in the New Testament, you know as I do that Christ was crucified at Passover. So, Passover in the Old Testament has its fulfillment in this sense it has its fulfillment in the crucifixion of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ again exactly identifies with the feast of Passover now let's go to the next one the feast of unleavened bread on the 15th day of that month and let me go back here so that we can keep it straight look at the first month the 14th of the month okay that's the 14th of the month right now let's go back to where I was. Did I miss that? No, I didn't. On the 15th day, what is that? That's the next day, right? That's the next day. Christ died on one day, and he was buried and in the grave the next day. Now notice what it says here. The feast or festival of unleavened bread or cakes to Yahweh. You shall eat unleavened cakes for a seven day period. So, after the sacrifice of Passover, comes the feast of unleavened bread. On the first day, there shall be a holy occasion for you. You shall not perform any work of labor. Now, that's like a Sabbath. But that day didn't always, every year, it didn't always fall on a Sabbath. You should not perform any work uh, of labor and you shall bring a fire offering to Yahweh for a seven day period. On the seventh day, there should be a holy occasion. You should not perform any work of labor. So during that that seven day period, a, a regular Sabbath would come in there somewhere. But then you had these two days that you weren't to work or not to work. So unleavened bread would be the 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 burial of Christ. You remember unleavened bread in communion is what? It's the body of Christ. So when uh, go back a few years, many several years ago, Zola Levitt came to our church in, in uh, Key West. He. Uh, was a, he's a, was a Jew, he's, he's passed away since then, but he'd spent his life, uh, most of his life, he became a Christian as a Jew early in his life. And then he became somewhat of a scholar. And if you really want to understand these things, you let a Christian Jew teach it to you. He grew up in this and now he's redeemed and he sees exactly what's going on. And we had him to perform uh, a Passover and all this burial of bread and everything for us. So he put on his priestly garments and all this thing. And the bread that they use, the exact way that they're told to cook it, has stripes on it. The way that it's grilled, the unleavened bread. So it has stripes on its back. One of them is enjoyed, but the other one is put away in a napkin. And when the napkin is surrounded it, the priest would hit it with his fist and break the bread, which is broken for you. And he would break the bread. So you can see why Christ said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Well, this is the feast of unleavened bread. Christ then would be buried on that very time. It was the very next day, you see. Um, So, the feast of Passover, the uh, the feast of unleavened bread, and now the feast of first fruits. Guess who got up out of the grave right during the feast of first fruits? Well, here it is. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you come to the land which I am giving you and you reap its harvest, You'll bring to the priest an omer of the beginning of your reaping. That's the first fruit. And he shall wave the omer uh, before Yahweh so that it will be acceptable for you. The priest shall wave it on the day after the rest day. That's the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day is Saturday. So what's the day after Saturday? Sunday. Now, this this would be given... They would bring it in. And then on that Monday, it would be waved before Yahweh. It's the first thing that came in. It was always barley. It came in first. I read that. I didn't know that because I'm a farmer. I read that. Barley would come in first before the wheat or the grapes or the pomegranates or anything else. So they would bring that. And then on that appropriate day, the the, the Sunday right after that came, on that Sunday, the day after the rest day, the day after the Sabbath the, the the wave offering to be given. And this was a faithful expression that Yahweh has given the beginning of a harvest. And in offering it to Yahweh, it is the faith, it is the it is the faith of the believer, the worshiper, that there is a great harvest to come. So this was just the initial thing that would first come when you first saw it and brought it. Christ by Paul in, in his letter to the Corinthians, call, Paul calls Christ the first fruits in the resurrection. So the first fruits is but not just Christ. Remember, the Gospel of Matthew said there were others who were raised up after he was resurrected. Christ, the first fruits. So this is this is the offering. You see, Christ is not just—he's not just the sacrifice. He's not just the lamb. He's the priest. So this is this is offered to the to the Father, and it's offered in the knowledge that a great uh, harvest will follow. Now, now keep that in mind uh, as we as we look through this. And on the day of your waving the Omer, you shall offer up an unblemished lamb in its first year as a burnt offering to Yahweh. Uh, um, it's, then its meal offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, uh, a fire offering to Yahweh as a spirit of satisfaction, and its libation shall be a quarter of a hen of wine. You shall not eat bread or flour made from parched grain or fresh grain, until this very day, until you bring your, your, God's, your offering to God, your Elohim offering. This is an eternal statute throughout your generations uh, in all your dwelling places. So the Israelites were to always understand the importance of first fruits. Now that's, that finds its fulfillment in the New Testament in the resurrection of Christ. So we have three feasts and we have three fulfillments, right? We have... Uh, uh, we have the Passover, which is crucifixion. We have the unleavened bread, which is the burial of Christ. And uh, then, then uh, we have the first fruits, which is the resurrection of Christ. And all of those, you can look that up in, in the back of your Bible where the maps and everything, and maybe you'll have one, a chart. And you'll see that those things just come one right after the other, just like the, just like the crucifixion, the burial, and then the resurrection uh, of Christ. Next is the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Harvest. In the New Testament, it's called Pentecost because you count 50 days after after the previous, uh, after, after the, the previous uh, feast. All right, so here we go. And you should count for yourselves from the morrow of the rest day, which is Sabbath, from the day you bring the Omer as a wave offering, seven weeks, and they shall be complete. You shall count until the day of the seventh week, namely the fiftieth day, on which you shall bring a new meal offering to Yahweh. From your dwelling places you shall bring bread, set aside two loaves made from two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked leavened. The first offering to Yahweh. So Christ is resurrected and from heaven sends the Holy Spirit and the church is born on the day of Pentecost. Read the book of Acts and you will see that Jews and Gentiles are saved on that day. Two loaves of what leavened bread? They're sinners. They can't do anything for themselves. They are sinners. And so they come as Sinners to be saved by the power of Christ. So that then is the feast of of Pentecost. And associated with the bread, you shall bring seven unblemished lambs in their first year, one young bull and two rams, and these shall be a burnt offering to Yahweh along with their meal offering and libations for a fire offering with a spirit of satisfaction to Yahweh. You shall offer up one he goat as a sin offering and two lambs in their first year as a peace offering. And we've already covered all of those offerings, so I'm not gonna go back through all of that again. Uh, but so you should, you should know how that is applicable to the life of a believer. Okay. Uh, okay. And the priest shall wave them in conjunction with the first offering. Uh, first offering bread is a waving before Yahweh. Along with the two lambs, they should be holy to Yahweh and belong to the priest. And you shall designate on this every day, uh, on this very day, a holy occasion. And it shall be for you uh, that is a separate day. You should not perform any work of labor. This is an eternal statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. So it's like a day of Sabbath. It may not be the Sabbath day. It may be or may not be according to how the days of the week fall when the calendar rolls around. But it's like a Sabbath day and it is separated to them. Now during that time, this is after the first fruits and now the crops begin to come in. Some of them. Come in earlier than others, according to what it is. You know, grapes come in differently from pomegranate. Wheat comes in differently from grapes, and so forth. Again, I read that. I, I, I've never. I don't have a vineyard. <laughs> but this, you have all the way through this summertime. These were the these were the, the ones we just looked at. Were the feasts of the spring. And then after Pentecost, there is the space of time. And during this space of time, different fruits will come in all during that time. So a space of time from Pentecost until the next uh, feast that we'll see. But during that time, with, with all of this blessing coming from Yahweh to his people... In this, Yahweh makes a provision for the poor. So here we go. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not completely remove the corner of your field during your harvesting, and you shall not gather up the gleanings of your harvest. Rather, you shall leave these for the poor person and for the stranger. I am Yahweh your God. So during this time, this long period between Pentecost and the next feast... Where various fruits and things are coming in, grains and so forth, and they're being harvested, there, there is to be a provision for the poor during that time. Now, the Feast of Trumpets. The last feast was the Feast of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. A long period of time. All the way through the summer, from, from late spring all the way through the summer now until early fall. Generally, the Feast of Trumpets falls in September, and it, it encompasses two days, and it's according to the full moon as to which days of the month it takes. Every year, I look at the calendar to see what two days of September will be the Feast of Trumpets. I'll tell you why. Because the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Now, let's read about it, and then I'll talk a little bit about the Feast of Trumpets. Now, remember, there's a space of time between Pentecost, the longest space of time between between feasts, from Pentecost to trumpets. Okay, so here... Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first of the month, it shall be a Sabbath for you. A remembrance of Israel through the shofar blast, a holy occasion. You shall not perform any work of labor and you shall offer up a fire offering to Yahweh. Now, here's what happens. Here's what happened in the Feast of Trumpets, in the progression and history of God's people. We'll fast forward to the time when there was a temple. The trumpet, the shofar, the trumpet, when, when the feast of trumpets begins, the, sho, the shofar, the trumpet would be blasted and people in the fields, wherever they were working, would hear the trumpet they would immediately stop working. Didn't matter what they were doing, how far along or how much more they had to go. Didn't matter. They would immediately stop working and make their way to the temple. And they would be brought in by the blast of the trumpet. This was, and there would be the feast, the feast of trumpets. It was just a special occasion for God's people. Now, in my view, I you can take it or leave it. I won't be mad at you. You can just apologize to me at the judgment seat of Christ to know that I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. But I believe that, uh, that the rapture of the church is, is, it coincides somehow with the Feast of Trumpets. And I know what you say. Well, Jesus said, well, he, doesn't, he doesn't know the day or the hour. Well, that's true. So, okay, you have two days here. Two days. It could be one day or it could be the other day. And it could be any hour within one of those days or the other of those days. I mean, I could see how they fit. And, you know, it it doesn't make you unsaved if you don't believe that. Well, it might. (laughs) But, uh, no, it won't. But I believe because all of the other ones have fallen on the very day, you know, why would that change? Now, I know, you can't set a date and all that kind of stuff. You do it your way and I'll do it mine. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to look at next year's calendar and I'm going to find when when the Feast of Trumpets is and Rosh Hashanah and, and, and all that. And, and I'm hoping and praying. I hope before then, bear with me if I'm wrong, I, I, won't, I won't suffer too badly. Um, but uh, in keeping with what we've already seen, the next thing then after this long period from Pentecost to uh, Trumpets... Uh, are will be the ingathering of fruits and grains and so forth at their various times, all the way through until it's all done. And 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 then and then when it's when it's all done, you know that, that everybody, everything's been gathered in. So that is the feast of trumpets. Now inserted in there in this passage is a reminder or a re-illustration or a re-instruction regarding the great day of atonement. Now we've already looked at looked at that earlier in Leviticus, but let's see what's said here. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, that on the 10th of this seventh month, it is a day of atonement, a holy occasion for you. And you shall afflict yourselves. Now notice that. Afflict yourselves. You shall offer up a fire offering to Yahweh. You should not perform any work on that very day, for it's a day of atonement. For you to gain atonement before the Lord your God, for before Yahweh your God. Now, you remember uh, the people had to come together, and it's the only day that, and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. So, it was a day of solemn affliction and confession. If you didn't get this right as an Israelite, you died. The day of atonement was that important. After the rapture. Comes the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's affliction. The time of tribulation. Those things are especially written about. In Zechariah. I won't take the time to, to quote all that. But you can put a lot of different scriptures together. And get an understanding of. Of How. I mean, okay, you have to come and you have to confess. You have to confess sins for the whole past year. Okay, you know. So on the day of Atonement, they can't plan to sin because they don't know what's going to happen in their lives. Right? You don't know what's going to happen. Somebody runs a red light and you do something ugly or think an ugly thought. You know, you don't know. But you can sure remember the previous year. So they have to spend a whole day confessing and afflicting themselves before Yahweh for the sake of the great day of atonement. And then, of course, the sacrifices made and the scapegoat and all these things. All right, so after rapture comes tribulation and it is a time... When Israel is greatly afflicted, especially the last three and a half years, greatly afflicted uh, to the point of of almost annihilation, according to Zechariah. So here is the next thing that Yahweh mentions. Now it's not a feast, but is a reminder of of this great day of atonement. For any person who will not be afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. Any person who performs any work on the very day, I'll destroy that person from amidst its people. That's how important the great day of atonement was for an Israelite. That very day, you must confess. You must recall your sin. Confess it and admit it and be atoned for it on the day of atonement. This is God's promise. It'll be Okay. But you must afflict. You. you must recognize that you're a sinner. This, is, this happens every year for these people. When you read the book of Zechariah, if I could just paraphrase and summarize, you get into chapters 12 through 14. In the, in the latter part of the tribulation, in the great tribulation, the picture is given of armies surrounding God's people in their land and it's it's like they are they're on the doorstep of wholesale slaughter from the forces of antichrist and zechariah says zechariah says they will look on the one whom they have pierced and then they will weep and wail and groan And mourn and seek the favor and forgiveness of God. And this this description is given where it says it'll start with the nation and it goes to communities and then all the families will confess and repent and every individual. I mean, it starts big and goes all the way down even to the individual will weep and mourn when they recognize that Jesus of Nazareth indeed is their Messiah. Well, to me that seems, and to a lot of thoughtful Bible teachers and scholars, that is the description of the insertion of the great day of atonement here. You shall not perform any work. This is an eternal statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is a complete day of rest for you, and you shall afflict yourselves On the ninth of the month, the evening, from the evening to evening, you shall observe your rest day. So we looked at the ones in spring; they've been fulfilled all the way through Pentecost. The next one, in my view, the next one to be anticipated in its fulfillment is, of course, the trumpets and and then what follows. Here's the final feast: the feast of uh, of tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this 7th month, it is the festival of Sukkot. A 7 day period to Yahweh. On the first day it's a holy occasion. It's like a Sabbath, Sabbath day. Sabbath day. And you should not perform any work of labor. For a Seven-day period, you shall bring a fire offering to Yahweh. On the eighth day, it shall be a holy occasion for you, and you shall bring a fire offering to Yahweh. It is a day of detention, and you shall not perform any work of labor. Now, I'm going to stop. I'll get to this in just a second. So we reflect on the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated by Israel to remind them of how God protected them, sheltered them, and was personally with them when they came out of Egypt and went to the Promised Land. They lived in tents. They lived in tabernacles and in temporary mobile dwellings as they made their way there. But the important thing was they were secure Because the presence of God was there with them. It was seen by fire. A pillar of fire. uh, By night. And a a big cloud. A pillar of a cloud by day. And they watched. As how that. That pillar. Protected them. They were God's people. And it protected them from their enemies. And was with them. All the way. All the way. uh, To Canaan. God's. Secured them, and he was visibly present and powerfully present with them. In the time of the millennial kingdom, Christ Himself will be enthroned in Jerusalem. You, you ought to read the last four, five. Well, let's see, maybe the last four chapters, three chapters of Ezekiel. It just just kind of describes this that people people are settled, they're at peace because our God Christ is with us, enthroned in Jerusalem and Israel will live there. That's their land, their promised land and all of that promise of boundaries will be completely fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and they will live there in in the most ideal spot on planet earth and then all the other nations in the millennial kingdom are only there because they were saved, they delivered, Gentile, those Gentiles who were delivered in the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, and so they bring their glory once at their appointed time, and they come securely into the presence of Christ to be taught, and it's a time of joy and a time of stability and a time of peace because you know that Christ is there. And there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to fear uh, nor to be concerned about. Now that's, that's the feast of tabernacles. And that's the last one that's given. So let's finish out the, the chapter here. These are Elohim's appointed holy days that ye shall designate them as holy occasions on which to offer up a fire offering to Yahweh, a burnt offering and meal offering, a sacrifice and libations, the requirement of each day on its day. Apart from Yahweh's Sabbaths, and apart from your gifts, and apart from all your vows, and apart from all your donations that you give to Yahweh. But on the 15th day of the 7th month, when you gather in the the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the festival of Yahweh for a 7-day period. Uh, The first day shall be a rest day, the 8th day shall also be a rest day. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the hadar tree, the date palm fronds, and a branch of the braided tree and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before Yahweh, before Yahweh your God. For a seven-day period, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh for seven days in the year. It is an eternal statute throughout your generations that you celebrate it in the seventh month. For a seven-day period, you shall live in the booths, the tabernacles, the tents. Every resident among the Israelites shall live in booths in order that your ensuing generations should know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I took them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God, and Moses told the sons of Israel these laws of Yahweh's appointed holy days. This is God's calendar. Uh, it seems to be very, very clear uh, to me what it represents and how it is fulfilled in the teachings of the New Testament, most particularly, of course, uh, in in the in the life of of Christ. So. These really should be memorized and thought about, reflected upon, because this is how Yahweh taught his people to worship him in the Old Testament. It wasn't like they could go to church every Sunday like we do. They did have a Sabbath, but it was a a thing they did at home. But they had these festivals, these feasts, where they would enjoy the thoughts of Yahweh and what he has done in each feast. Had had a particular meaning to it, and it tells us of how God deals with His people all the way. In my view, all the way to the end uh, of the age, which is really a a wonderful and happy thing when you when you think about it. These are it says these are established by Yahweh. These are days in the year that He has established. So they had this they had this happy uh, culture of celebrating God in these particular times of year. But more than just that, in my view, it was solemn instruction of God's purpose and how he would fulfill his purpose in the due course of time. Well, we'll stop there and we'll pray and be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your word and all that it means to us. We thank you for how so many of these feasts have already been fulfilled in Christ. And how we are enjoying this period of time where we can be busy to gather in a harvest, the great harvest that is yet to come. Father, I pray that you'll convict us in our hearts, in our study of these feasts, and help us to understand our part, even today, in them as the church of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.